And in case you are new with us today, uh, we are, uh, been, we've been reading through the Bible together, and our goal is to make it cover to cover this year, and so many of you are following along with us in that. Uh, in addition to reading through it, we're also talking about it here on Sunday mornings. And so if you've got questions uh, for how to do that, maybe how to jump into the reading with us, feel free to catch us after the service today, get somebody back in the lobby. Uh, we'd be uh, willing to, to help you in that, or just put a question in the comments section, and uh, there's some people there that can respond to you right now. Now, but if you have been reading or at least tracking with us on Sundays, you've heard us talk about things like creation. You've heard us talk about sin and how it entered the world. We followed Abraham and Sarah's journey, uh, and also the Israelites, their exodus from Egypt. All right, and Moses, we've been reading for the last few weeks together. Moses has been leading these people, leading the Israelites through all of their wanderings in the wilderness. Well, today we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you've got a Bible with you and you want to follow along, uh, it's the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. It comes from a Greek word that means second law. All right, if you remember, uh, the, the older generation had all died off in the wilderness. And so Moses, all right, he's preparing the people as they get ready to enter into uh, this new land. And so it's a second sharing of this law. And we put this map up on the screen back a couple of weeks ago just to give you a, a picture of what's been happening here. And Jerry talked about following Abraham and Sarah's journey and Joseph to Egypt and then the exodus from Egypt and the people they end up down here in the Sinai Peninsula. And many believe that Mount Sinai is down here in the very southern part of it. Well, all of the wandering and time in the wilderness is going to be spent up here through the Sinai Peninsula and in southern Israel. And most likely, Moses and the Israelites are going to end up here through Moab, which is modern-day Jordan, and come to this great point of transition just north of the Dead Sea, ready to cross over the Jordan River, all right, and into the Promised Land. And because Moses is nearing the end of his life, he's going to take these final moments with the Israelites to share some important words and instructions with them, again, to help prepare them for what's ahead. Now, Moses knew, well, he knew what they were like. Uh, he'd spent a lot of time with them. He knew they were going to be tempted to turn from God and to pursue other less important things with their life, even as they enter into the promised land. And so I want to read for you today, if you want to just listen with me, Deuteronomy chapter 6, all right, beginning in verse 1. Let me read a few verses here for us. Here, here's what we read. Moses said this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land so that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Um, this, th these words here, all right, verses 5 and 6, all right, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They, they make up a prayer, an important Jewish prayer that's known as the Shema, all right? And maybe you've heard that word before. It's a prayer that reminds Israel of their allegiance, their devotion to God, the one and only God, the one who rescued them from slavery in Egypt and called them to be his representatives 
in this world. Now, the Shema is something that devout Jews pray two times a day in morning and evening and have done so for centuries. Chances are Jesus would have learned this prayer as a young child from Mary and Joseph. In fact, these words would become very central to Jesus' teaching, his faith and his teaching. And there are many examples of this in the gospel, including here in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 where we read one of the teachers of the law came and and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. This teacher asked Jesus, of all the commandments, Jesus, which is the most important one? And the most important one answered Jesus is this. See if you notice these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said there is no greater commandment than these. Now, you may have noticed that Jesus attaches this last line here, love your neighbor as yourself, something that doesn't show up in Moses' words in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll talk more about what's happening there in just a moment. But what's Jesus saying? All right, what's Jesus after here with, with his words, his response in this moment? Well, it's brilliant, really how he's able to take all of the word of God and and sort of boil it down into one summary to to summarize God's, his will for us. I mean, to the question of like, well, what's God's will to your life? I mean, you could imagine Jesus saying, well, you know, to to know that he is God, all right? To know that Yahweh, that he is God and and, and to love him with every part of your life, everything that you are and to love your neighbor in the same manner and to the degree in which you love God. That was Moses' desire, right? That was his desire, his vision for the Israelites as they're about to enter into the promised land. That was Jesus' desire for his followers to those who were listening to his teaching 2,000 years ago. And you know what? It's still true for us today. Uh, You could say that this is God's will. This is Jesus' will, his vision for your life and mine. The Shema reminds us of the importance of our allegiance to God and what it means to be able to say that we love God with every part of who we are, every part of our life, including the way we love and influence the people around us. And so I want to spend a few minutes with you here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 today, and then we'll wind up with Jesus' words here. But I want to walk through these important words, all right, so that we can better understand God's will and his desire for you and me and how we live today. Let's go back to those words in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, one more time, Moses, he, he begins by saying, hear, O Israel. And we highlight this word here for a moment. This is the Hebrew word Shema. All right, this is where the prayer gets its title and its meaning. Now, there are something like approximately 400,000 words in the English language. Hebrew has around 8,000. All right, and so I heard a teacher, uh, Lois Tverberg, say this one time, you got to treat every Hebrew word like an overstuffed suitcase, all right, because every word is packed full of meaning. And so that's the case with this word here or this word Shema. Now, we, we usually translate here or Shema as in what it means to, to hear something, all right, what it means to hear a sound. But the word Shema has a much deeper meaning as it encompasses not only the idea of hearing, but also listening and obeying, all right, putting the those things into practice. 
Uh, you've heard me talk before. Uh, I'm a runner, all right? I, that's what I do for exercise. I went out for a run this past week, loving this weather, all right? Great weather uh, for running. I was out for a run one morning this week. I was coming up on a man who was out walking his dog, uh, and he didn't have his log, dog on a leash, all right? And so as I was getting a little closer, it was some kind of doodle. I, I can't keep up with all the doodles today. There are so many doodles. But he, he was walking some kind of doodle, and this dog saw me coming, and I could just tell he, he was ready, all right? He was ready to, to pounce on me. And so the moment that I was passing by, I mean, that dog was about to take a leap when all of a sudden the owner, he noticed this and he just let out a no stop. And I kid you not, that dog stopped dead in its tracks, sat down and just watched me run on by. See, it's one thing to hear. It's another thing to listen. It's another thing to obey. Moms and dads, if you have to tell your children or your child to get down from a chair 17 times, <laughs> chances are they don't have a hearing problem. They have a listening and an obeying sort of an issue. They've got a Shema problem, if you think about it. Shema means to hear. It means to listen, to obey, and to act. Put yourself in the Israelite shoes. They've spent all this time in the wilderness studying the law, getting to know God, learning to understand the benefits of following the law and the, the consequences of breaking the law. And now they're at the front door of the promised land and Moses speaks to them with the word Shema and right away they connect the dots as they understand what the word means. It's a call not only to hear, but to listen. And to obey, to put it to practice, understanding the word Shema helps us understand a little bit more some of the things that Jesus had to say. Like in Mark chapter 4, verse 9, where Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Basically, you've heard my teaching, now go and put it into practice. James, the brother of Jesus, learned the importance of this. It's why he would encourage Christians in James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Again, it's this idea of hearing, listening, obeying, putting these things into practice. Back to Moses' words again, Deuteronomy chapter 6, hear, O Israel, Again, listen, obey, put these things to practice. The Lord our God, he says, the Lord is one. Now, when we hear the word one, it comes from this Hebrew word echad, all right? It's actually hachad. You got you to get some phlegm, all right? You got to get some, some spit at the back of your throat involved with the word. But it means one as in there's only one God. There's only one God above all others. There, there's no one else like him. You could say that this is a statement of belief, all right, for the people of Israel, a reminder to them as they enter into this new land, a land full of people who are worshiping many different false gods, that their allegiance and that their loyalty is only to the God of heaven. And so Moses says, he's the one you worship. He is the one you serve. He is the one that you obey. We, we had the privilege of not only celebrating and praying with the Lange Bartles, but also the Rulons and the first service, as Jerry explained, tried to explain. Family commissioning uh, is an opportunity for parents to stand on this stage with their child to express their intentions to raise their kids to know and to love Jesus Christ. And, and these moms and dads, if you're a mom and dad, you know this is going to take prayer too. All right? It's going to take a lot of prayer. Uh, they know it's going to take a church family, but they also realize 
that you have to model these things for your child as well, that it's one thing to say it, but you've got to model it at the same time. And that's what Moses is urging Israel to do. He wants them to live out God's law, and in this way, they will be demonstrating their devotion and allegiance to God. And that's why Jesus spoke these words too. It's why he's connecting the old you know, to the new, all right? He's reaching back to the past and something that was passed down to him. And not only did Jesus say these words, but he modeled them with his life. I mean, this is how Jesus lived each and every day. And he's called his followers to this kind of living. He's called you and me to this kind of living too, which is just a great reminder to us. You know, Genesis Church, um, you, you and I, we're gonna be tempted to give our allegiance, our devotion, our loyalty to so many other things in this world, to different people, to a political party or a particular candidate, or there are going to be causes and, and movements that are going to come before us. And it doesn't mean that they're all wrong, but as followers of Jesus Christ, our greatest devotion and allegiance is to Jesus. It, it is to the Lord of heaven. It is to God alone. And God should be at the center of everything that we do. And to do that, we must learn to love God you know, to the extent that Moses and Jesus have called us to next. Look at what Moses says to them. He says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, what does this line really mean for us? Well, it's a command, all right? You need to hear it as a command. It's an imperative, really, that this is how we should. This is how we respond to his love. It's our respond to his grace, especially as Christians, you know, who have trusted Christ with our life and received his forgiveness and his salvation and a new birth, all right, a, a fresh start with the Lord, like his love then should influence and impact everything that we do in this world. Because when you think about it, like real love, I mean, it gets inside of you and it causes you to do a lot of things. It causes you to rethink everything about your life. I mean, I think back to when I met my wife, Jenny. We met at Anderson University. Uh, we met in a class together, faith development. We didn't really know each other, but uh, thanks to some group work, we got to know each other better. Now, how many of you loved group work in high school or college? Yeah, nobody, right? Nobody raises their hand for that question. I hated group work, all right, because I cared, all right? I wanted to get an A, and uh, it seemed like I'd always get stuck with all of the work, and Jenny was kind of like that too. And again, she didn't really know me, all right, but she knew a little of my reputation. She knew I was a good student, and so uh, the teacher passed around a paper where you would sign up for your group and I was one of the first and so I was in a blank group well by the time it got to Jenny well she says that she signed up for my group because she knew I was a good student but I think she we know why I mean she had an ulterior motive uh, in signing up for for that particular group but that's how we got to know one another and I can still remember I mean all of the time together that we spent and uh, time on the phone and long conversations and, you know, emails. And I mean, if you've ever fallen in love before, I mean, you know what it's like. I mean, when you fall for someone, you know, when you fall in love, like you can't get enough time with that person. You think about them all the time. You, you make decisions with them in mind. You start rearranging all of your life with them in mind. Don't get me wrong. Our love for God should go way beyond the romantic love that we experience or express to another person here on earth. But in the same way that we demonstrate love for someone else, like our love for God should impact and influence 
like everything that we do, every part of our lives. And that's what Moses wanted for Israel. And so he's calling them to action, calling them to a certain way, a a way that's going to set them apart. It's going to distinguish them from others living in this world. And Moses knew that they're going to be tempted. As they go into this new land, they're going to be tempted by all of these people. They're going to be tempted by false gods like Baal and like Asherah. And so he's calling them to allegiance. He's calling them to devotion now to the God of heaven. And he says to them, Shema, you know, Make sure you don't just hear this, but you have to obey. Put these things to practice. Again, there is only one God. You are to love him, and you are to live for him every day and every moment for the rest of your time here on the earth. And the Israelites are going to fail at this, by the way. All right, we're, we're going to read about it. You, you, you expect this. I mean, they're going to fail at this over and over. But Jesus, on the other hand, he's the perfect model and example of what it means to love God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, or all of your mind. You know, those words are interchanged in this. The the heart symbolizes kind of the center of of who you are, your desires and and affections. Your soul is meant to represent your uniqueness, um, you know, your being, your, your strength, or your mind. Your mind was considered to be the very center of your intellect. All right, again, that it's to influence the way you think about things, which is going to influence the way you respond to things. Basically, he, Jesus wants everything. Uh, he wants everything from us. He, Jesus isn't calling us to some convenient sort of life where we make a little room here and we make a little room here and there for him. No, what Jesus modeled and what he has called us to is a complete and total takeover of your heart and of your life, of your soul and your mind. Like he wants to influence the way you see and and think about everything. Uh, Jesus wants to influence the way you spend your time and uh, the way you manage your resources. He wants to to influence where you go to school. He he wants to influence the the career that you choose and even what you do for a living today. God called me into full-time vocational ministry, and he may not have that in mind for you. He may not have that in mind for some of you, all right, but if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you that he has called you to full-time ministry. He has called you to full-time ministry as a doctor, a full-time ministry as an accountant, as a, uh, as a person in sales, in, in retail, as a, as a student, and as a parent. He wants every part of who you are, all of your time, and, and every part of me. You know, parents especially, don't overlook Moses' in specific instruction to parents. Jerry touched on this a moment ago, but let's look at these words. Again, we hear Moses say, you know, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with every part of who you are. And then he continues, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. And then he continues, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Parents, we, we live in a crazy world. And I got a hunch that it's only going to get crazier. And add to that, there are so many confusing messages out there today, so many influences, and, and some of them, I believe, are a direct attack on the church, on Jesus, and on the hope that we have in Him. And so moms and dads, but more than that, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, really all of us as a church family, one of the greatest things that you can do is to teach your children to know and to love God and to know his word and to teach them not only to listen to it, 
but to obey it, to put it into practice, you know, pray like crazy, all right, because there's no guarantees, but we keep praying, we keep trusting the Lord, because if you and I, at the same time, we got to model it for them as well, because if we're not going to live these words out, there's a really good chance our kids aren't going to do it either, and I, I mentioned Lois Tverberg a moment ago, I got a her book up on stage with me. It's a great book uh, entitled Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. She dedicates several chapters to talking about this Shema prayer. Uh, I got to be honest and say a lot of my influence for this message today has come right from, from this book. But she's got a great resource here where she talks about this prayer and putting it into practice and passing it on to our kids and the importance of the younger generations. But in her book, she also tells a really sweet story about the about teaching these children, again, not only to hear these words, but to be able to respond to them and to let them change the way they live. Uh, she writes this. She says, in, in 1945, uh, Rabbi Eliezer Silver headed up the search for thousands of, of displaced Jewish children all across Europe. And these children had been hidden from the Nazis and were hidden away in farms and convents and monasteries. And Rabbi Silver's mission after the war had ended was to go out and to find these children who had been put in hiding and to hopefully reunite them with at least some portion of their family. But he ran into some challenges, challenges like the fact that there were no physical uh, marks that really distinguished a Jewish child uh, from a Western non-Jewish uh, child. Um, add to that, many of the children had been taken into hiding potentially when they were babies or or toddlers, and so even before they could communicate, and now several years had passed. But one day he got this particular lead about some children that had been, uh, had been kept in captivity. They were hidden, protected uh, in a monastery in southern France, and so he went there looking for them, and he got there, and he was escorted to this room where all of these kids were living. Again, it was just more than Jewish children, and, and not knowing, you know, again, the difference, not being able to necessarily distinguish, he, he got an idea. And he describes this moment where he began singing. He began praying the word Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Akkad. We're basically hero Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And at that moment, all of a sudden, he watched faces light up in the room. Uh, kids lifting their heads. Some that stepped forward. Other tiny voices that started saying the words along with this rabbi. And it was just a moment that he would never forget. A powerful example, too, that parents, we've got an important role to play in our kids' lives. Your, your most important responsibility is to teach and to train your kid to know and to love Christ uh, and to model, you know, uh, what it means to live for Jesus and to love Jesus in this world. Again, we have these words from Moses. The people are about to enter into the promised land. Fast forward. 1,200 plus years. Jesus is on the scene. He's in a conversation. He's asked about the most important commandment. Again, it's in Mark chapter 12. Mm -hmm. The most important one, he replies, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. But notice what Jesus does next. He says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, why did Jesus tack these words onto Moses' words from Deuteronomy chapter 6? Well, I'll tell you this. Lois Tverberg does a great job explaining that in her book, so I'm not going to try and tackle all of it. But Jesus, he just had this knack of kind of bringing fulfillment, you know, a greater vision, a greater picture 
to these words' original intention. And so it's not a rejection of what Moses said, as in what Moses said was complete or something. In fact, Moses wouldn't have disagreed with Jesus because Moses knows these additional words. Well, he knows them too because they come out of Leviticus. Chapter 19, verse 18, when we read, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor, neighbor as you love yourself. I am the Lord. And so this command to love your neighbor plays out over and over again in the life and the teachings of Jesus, and, and it carries on throughout the rest of the New Testament too. I mean, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Uh, even John, another of Jesus' disciples, he writes this, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then again, James, the brother of Jesus, he gets to the heart of this by saying, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing it right. And by the time we get to the book of Acts, if you know that story at all, we'll read about that uh, this fall, you're going to see Jesus' followers living this out, living out these commands as the church is born. And not only did they care and love for one another, but they were actively looking for ways to love their neighbors, to love the people in the communities around them, just as Jesus did. And they had to ask the question, who's my neighbor? And all the time we've got to ask this question, well, who's mine? And just to be clear, I mean, your neighbor is, what's your church family? And so people are sitting around right now. Uh, your neighbor are the people that you live next to. All right, certainly those that we would typically refer to as our neighbors. Your, your neighbor is your students that you go to school with. It's your teachers. It's the administration at your school. Your neighbors are the people that you work with. I mean, anyone that you come in contact with regularly each day qualifies as a neighbor, but, but it's also those that you don't see as often or that we don't normally think of. I mean, because as Jesus shows us, sometimes your neighbor is the least likely person. And Jesus, he tells this story real quick in Luke chapter 10. You've probably heard it before. We often refer to it as the the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, Jesus tells a story. It's about a Jew who gets the snot beat out of him and he's left alongside the uh, deserted road one day and two different Jews come by and step over him basically, just pass over to the other side of the road because they don't want to get involved. But eventually a Samaritan comes by. And what's ironic about this? Well, again, Jesus was a brilliant storyteller. He knew what the people were thinking. He knew what he was up to. And he knew that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. In fact, the Samaritans had a reputation for beating up Jews, and Jews hated them for it. But who steps in to be the good neighbor in this story? The Samaritan, the last person on earth that you'd expect. And what's the point Jesus is trying to make? Well, if the Samaritan could be a good neighbor, so can you. And really, honestly, the story, it's a story of Jesus. It's the type of life he lived. It's the person he was aiming to be, the, the same person that he invites us to be and how we live our lives as well. Because when God is the Lord of your life, when he is at the center of your being and you're trying to love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and mind, like you can't help but love your neighbor. Like, I mean, that true love for God has to come out of your life. It's got to be expressed in different ways. It's often reflected by the way that you love your neighbor. It's not one or the other because you can't truly love God and not love others that he's putting around you. 
And so Moses' words were also Jesus' words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are and love your neighbor. Again, this was Moses' encouragement to the Israelites as they're going into this new land. And it's Jesus' encouragement, his words, his vision for your life and mind. You know, before we close, there's something that I've been thinking about this week that I think really pertains to our reading, our studying, and everything that we're talking about here on Sundays. And um, we all know this. I mean, this last year has been a really weird, challenging, hard year for so many different people in so many different ways. And um, I don't know about you, but I'm hopeful. I really am. I see good things that are happening. I'm trusting that we're headed to a good place and a a new day, you know, sort of sort of feels like we've got a promised land of our own in front of us, you know, as we see things opening and at least in the sense that, that if this last year has felt like a wandering in a wilderness, well, maybe, maybe there's something better that's coming. We, again, we've showed you this map and we think about all of the time that was spent wandering here and, and we need to be reminded that God uses the wilderness, Uh, that the wilderness, while it looks like dry, difficult, complicated, you know, ground, that that it's fertile ground, that God can bring good things through the wilderness. And I don't know what kind of wilderness you've been in the past year. I mean, maybe for some of you would say, you know, this wilderness for me is, it's been my marriage. Uh, Or maybe another relationship in your life that's been difficult, it's been trying. I mean, maybe Maybe the wilderness for you, you would describe as a time of struggle, of uh, fear, of anxiety, uh, maybe of depression. Uh, Maybe maybe there's a health issue that's taken a toll on you or uh, somebody that you love that's close to you. Again, that that can feel a lot like the wilderness or or maybe it's uncertainty and just just feeling lost and feeling distant from God. I, I don't know where you are right now when it comes to the wilderness, but if any of the last year has felt like that for you, I want you to know that God uses the wilderness, um, that God meets us in the wilderness. I want you to know that God can use the wilderness. And if you haven't realized this yet, I hope that one day you're going to look back and you're going to see his faithfulness and you're going to see his provision and his blessings and the lessons that he's been trying to teach you and me in this wilderness are provisions of his grace over and over again in our lives. But here's what, here's what I want to land at. Here's what concerns me, especially as life uh, begins reopening. As we look to get back to the way things used to be and as we're pulled back into old ways, some good, maybe some not so good, like our busyness and the go, 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 go all the time and, and add to it now all of the confusing messages that are fighting for our allegiance and fighting for our devotion. I just think that like the Israelites, it kind of feels like we're standing on the verge of a new day of our own, a new season, again, maybe our own kind of promised land. And with that in mind, I think we just need to ask ourselves, who am I going to live for? Who am I going to live for now and who am I going to live for on the other side of this? Uh, Who am I going to give my life for in this world? I think you got to wrestle with the question of what does Jesus mean to you? What's he mean to you in your life? And What steps are you willing to take for him? And when things get hard and when things get confusing, who is going to get your allegiance? Because friends, our hope is in Jesus Christ and in no one else in this world. 
Our, our hope is in God who sent his son Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and the salvation and the life that is found in him and through him and our trust in him because Jesus gives us direction for how to live. He shows us the way to live in this world and he's given us that direction. He's given us lessons for life and how we respond and how we live through his promises and through his word. And he wants to influence every part of who you are and who I am. And he has called us to love others to the same degree that we say we love God. And so our allegiance is to him. Our devotion is to him. And may our prayer today be the prayer of Moses and, and Jesus as well when they prayed. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloeinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloeka. Bakol Levaka, Uvakol Navshaka, Uvakol Meodeka, Ve'ahavta Lereaka, Kamoka, Amin. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Father in heaven, we thank you for all of your words and all of your promises. We thank you for Jesus who shows us the way to live and Jesus who gives us life. May our hope and our allegiance and our loyalty be to you and to no one else. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.